Hey guys, Montel here, and thanks so much for tuning in to this edition of Let's Be Blunt with Montel. And our guest today was, was a preacher once adamantly opposed to marijuana. His world was flipped upside down when his three sons were diagnosed with a disease called PANDAS, which means auto is pediatric autoimmune neuropsychiatric disorder associated with streptococcal infections, which eventually led to a cancer diagnosis in his son, Michael. And he did a complete 180 with his beliefs in cannabis and became a strong advocate for, for once he saw it had the incredible impact that it had on his life and the lives of his sons. Now he works to spread the gospel about medical benefits of cannabis and is writing his own memoir, The Pot Preacher. Michael Senecola, thanks so much for being a part of Let's Be Blunt with Montel today, sir. All right. Well, Montel, it's great to, to see you. Uh, uh, you look awesome. I mean, I've been a fan for years and uh, I feel it's a real honor. I've been on this journey for about 12 years now. This will be the 12th year. And uh, here I am finally talking to Montel Williams. So thank you. No, thank you, sir. And, and uh, you know, I should say for on behalf of everyone in the movement, thanks so much for your turnaround. But let's go back for a little bit and let's talk to people and tell people about your background uh, during your time of serving as a foreign missionary. Yeah. So. Uh, When I was uh, 23, uh, 24 years, so actually 23, I finished up uh, with college uh, and I, I really was searching. I, I was really lost. You know, I, had, I was a baseball player, uh, played baseball right down the road from you at University of Miami. I was there from 1981 to 1983, and I sustained a pretty serious uh, neck injury, back injury. Uh, and then I was still fortunate to go on a little bit longer after that, but I got hurt. And it really kind of shut me up. I mean, hitting a pole, running full stride, full speed will wake up your world. I thought I was going to die. And it, it was it was rough. <laughs> and basically what we did was uh, uh, it, it kind of sobered me up spiritually. And so I started pursuing uh, God through via the scriptures, uh, the Judeo-Christian scriptures, and uh, turned my life around, uh, really uh, committed myself to a no more noble cause uh, after baseball and Of course, baseball was able to pay for my college tuition, uh, thanks to the uh, rearing of my parents. But basically, we just uh, I, I, I decided to dedicate my life. And my wife and I did that. Uh, been married uh, over 33 years now. Uh, it's, it's quite a long time. And we have uh, run into some number of roadblocks uh, with our children, uh, starting from birth, which is now over 30 years ago. My, our sons are men now. And. Here we are, and, and going through that transformation of being in the ministry and cannabis not being accepted, me, myself, preaching against uh, marijuana in front of thousands and thousands of people. And, of course, I was ignorant and didn't know what I was talking about at the time. And then years later, my son was diagnosed with cancer, and that, whoa, shut me up, woke me up, and, and then started walking that path. Well, before we jump into that, though, let's back up a little bit. Talk a little sure. bit. Let's talk about that perspective on cannabis that you had you know, developed. Uh, in your younger years, you know, yeah. especially as a preacher, what were some of the things you used to say in some of your, you know, your sermons about, about cannabis? Well, uh, first and foremost, as you know, uh, most people in our society are nascent. Uh, the information regarding cannabis has been hidden uh, from the public, myself included. When I went through my Bible studies to train as a minister, 
uh, it was always uh, considered uh, uh, a sin uh, coming from uh, one of the scriptures out of Galatians and a number of others. It refers to, or it's lumped into pharmakia, uh, which is where we get the word pharmacy today, uh, which has nothing to do with cannabis in many ways. Uh, but, and so I started doing it. Yes, sir. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I find that very interesting, though, that you would tune to that passage in the Bible, but also skip over the fact that, you know, the three wise men carry to the baby Jesus incense, frankincense, and myrrh. Frankincense is a plant that literally has the same types of properties as cannabis in some ways. They do provide euphoria, and it does kind of, you know, back in that day, back 2,000 years ago, you know, uh, people used to burn that inside of uh, tents, especially for colicky babies and other people like that, because it was kind of sedated and also helpful. So it seems weird to me. I've often wondered, just wanted to ask a preacher, you know, uh, yeah. if the wise men were wise men, well, why would they bring the baby Jesus? So <laughs> uh, he shouldn't be doing it. And if so, it was good for the baby Jesus, why isn't it good enough for all of us? Yeah. Well, a couple of things. First of all, uh, I'm no longer a preacher. I haven't, uh, I've resigned from ministry many years ago um, because of, of this particular issue. And there's no bitterness towards those folks. They That's where they were at as far as their enlightenment, but we'll get into that later. But um, really. What happens is, so you can have a scripture, you can have the Judeo-Christian scriptures, um, and you can have that one document, and yet you can have 300 plus different denominations. You know, you could take, you can create whatever narrative and focus on any particular group of scriptures that you like in order to uh, uh, solidify your dogma. And so that's what happens. And, you know, clearly you understand this and uh, in, in our audience is that the cloud of prohibition, once that seed of prohibition is, is just planted into the mice that cannabis, and they call it marijuana, I don't call it marijuana, I call it cannabis. Uh, once that that's in there, psychologically, there's there's damage. Even today, with it being legal in so many different states, and uh, you can legally uh, uh, use cannabis, churches today have a, a long way to go as far as understanding. And that, that transformation, that journey for me, uh, was was difficult, uh, but it was eye opening, and it opened my heart, it opened my mind. I was wrong on so many issues, and until I got hit in the face, so to speak, spiritually, I got spiritually sober. It's like, okay, your sons are having seizures, your your youngest son has cancer. Uh, I thought I was having a heart attack, uh, and I was only forty nine at the time. I just turned sixty, and uh, I was like, what is going on with my world? You know, I got I got to figure this out. And it was if it wasn't for a friend at uh, my job at work, he says, Mike, you need to consider medical marijuana and cannabis. I said, oh, there's no way I could do that. I'm a, I'm a Christian. I'm a preacher or aspire to again, what have you. And, uh, and you know, I started digging into, number one, the history. Number two, the science. Number three, how does it treat me personally? How do I respond to cannabis personally? And number four, what do the scriptures say about it? And as you pointed out, Montel, when I really studied the ideology of cannabis and Going back to the roots, of course, you get to Genesis, you go to Exodus chapter 30, verse 20 and following. They use six pounds of cannabis flour to make the anointing holy oil for the priests. There you go. <laughs> I had to readjust my game. I mean, I think a lot of people have to readjust their games. Yes, they, sir. You know, and, and you've, you've touched on so much in just, you know, uh, uh, two, two minutes uh, that response to that question. But, you know, when you, you, I understand having a personal event that literally woke you up and made you stop and think, but you made a comment about the fact that, you know, 
churches across the country, you know, jumped on board the prohibition world. But before prohibition was put in place in 1937, we were a nation that was really in some ways built on cannabis. So we go all the way back to, you know, our founding fathers and back to, you know, the late 1500s. And, you know, every ship that crossed the oceans, crossed the oceans with seeds, with bags full of seeds of hemp. Uh, because we recognize that the hemp seed was one of the most protein-laden seeds on the planet. So people ate hemp porridges. When we founded the, you know, the 13 colonies, almost every single, it was a requirement that you grew hemp if you were a farmer. From our forefathers to, uh, you know, uh, those who wrote the Constitution, they all grew hemp because if you owned a farm, you were supposed to do so because it was a revenue-generating uh, a plant that literally actually helped this country survive its first hundred years without any doubt. Most people don't recognize the fact that our, you know, the entire revolutionary army for the U.S. side was clothed in hemp fibers. The term cannabis, the term cannabis comes from cannabis. Absolutely. Um, there are so many historical facts about the fact that we grew it, we used it, every sail, every rope that was used in our entire fleets were made from hemp. So it's crazy how it just took one butthead, uh, you know, a, a guy by the name of Anslinger who decided to, you know, during prohibition of alcohol, he was in favor of cannabis. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't until alcohol was, you know, prohibition ended that he decided to find something else to hang his hat on and then decided to be as, as adamant about, you know, the prohibition for Cannabis, which again, you said I prefer to use the term cannabis myself also because, you know, marijuana was a term that was created to vilify the plant based on a term that was used for Mexican prostitutes. People don't know that. That's where Mary Jane marijuana comes from. So it's so crazy. I mean, for you, that must have been just, you know, I don't know if the weight lifted off your chest, but that had to be an epiphany moment for you. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, it was jaw-dropping. I, I just, it, it started out where you just go, what? Whoa. And you just keep reading and you keep reading and you keep reading. And then, you you know, you find documents going back 10,000 years where they find hemp strands in Taiwan. Uh, and it goes on and on. When we, tra- the history was one thing. And I know we're going to get into the medical here in a little bit. But I'm going to be very honest with you. I'm going to be very blunt with you. I was in the ministry for nearly two decades. And I've been out for quite a while. And although I still have an interest in helping those folks as a consultant, a cannabis consultant to bridge that gap as we're discussing. But I didn't swear. And I'm not trying. I didn't swear for like two decades. Now, I'm not trying to be pious or anything of that nature. It's just that was the way it was for me. It was an issue of consciousness. When I started studying about the truths that had been hidden of cannabis, for example, 1940. Dr. Raphael Mashulam, who was the first person who responded uh, to my book uh, that's, that's coming out, uh, he, he, wants a, he wants a copy of it. But Dr. Ralph, uh, it, it was amazing. He discovered it. In the, he, he knew that something was going on in the 1940s. And then in 1980, he developed the CBD showing that it had a major effect and impact in controlling seizures. And what happened? Absolutely nothing, right? Nobody did anything. And so now, of course, that's changed and uh, it has it is, it is progressed much further than that. But, you know, as a parent, when you find out that your kid could have been helped, that someone kept 
a cure or a medicine or something to uh, treat uh, on a long ba- a long term basis. That's that was kept hidden from from us. From I mean, I started to swear, and it really drove my wife. It was tough for my wife, but um, you know, we adjusted. Uh, you know, but, but you know that that eye opener that you had. I mean, I, I'm one of the only people to have interviewed Doctor Mashulam in his laboratory in Israel. I know you did. <laughs> understand and don't recognize the fact that a lot of the research that Mishulam was doing was based on funding from the United States government. So we funded a lot of what Raphael uh, ended up identifying. He's gone on to identify everything from, you know, the endocannabinoid system and actually breaking out where the receptors were. He was the first person to identify THC, Delta-19. He's, uh, you know, he literally is the godfather of cannabis, if you will, in so many ways. But a lot of people don't know that the reason why he was able to do so is because the U.S. government funded him. So when you really want to be outraged and say, you know, how can they hide something from you? I mean, the fact that you came to this revelation, I don't know if you recognize the fact that, you know, our government filed for a patent on CBD in 1998. It gave itself a patent in 2002 and recognized in its abstract exactly what they deemed were the benefits of cannabinoids. And we're still finding more and more research out as we sit here today. About three weeks ago, four weeks ago, there was a double-wide peer-reviewed study that came out that talked about the fact that we've found that um, you know some of the flavonoids have a greater anti-inflammatory effect than some of the things that are on the market right now and have an, an exact effect on you know, what's going on in inflammation in the COVID yes. uh, uh, virus. So, you know, there's so much more that needs to be learned and so much more that we need to be talking about and making sure people are well aware of. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit and talk about it. Now, you, you are a person who spent, I say, understands trauma. Yeah, that's an understatement, my buddy and my friend. Why you? Tell people a little bit. I was reading a little bit about your personal history and your physical trauma. You've suffered everything from a fractured skull uh, to, you know, as a child to, you know, having, you know, torn a knee open, you know, riding a bicycle that you ended up jumping into a public swimming pool with and then getting an infection from that that uh, almost caused you to be uh, be an amputee. Um, you've gone on, you've, you've fractured your tibia twice, you broke your nose three times, you broke your big toe, you dislocated your shoulder, you've uh, you know, uh, dislocated your index finger, you've gone through two separate knee operations, broken numerous teeth, been uh, uh, in the jaw, you've been injured, 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 injured. So you're a guy walking around as a walking ball of pain, are you not? Well, thanks to cannabis, I'm not. Uh, but the answer to that, the short answer would be yes. I mean, if I didn't maintain, uh, I take my daily dose of oils. I make my own oils. Uh, I uh, keep a steady flow to keep the, the balance, the, the equilibrium, right? The homeostasis within the body, regulating temperature, uh, digestion, all of it. Uh, and it really helps. Um, I think as you get older, as we age, uh, those Cannabis and terpene profiles, they change a little bit. You know, first, when you, when you, early on, dealing with depression, you want something that's going to work on your mind, your head, a sativa type of uh, uh, flower, or then a profile. Then, you know, your body, my shoulders, my knees, my neck, my spine, well, you got to switch to an indica. And uh, some of these edibles are just really therapeutic today. And, and of course, it's all about dosages. You know, Montel, people mess up with edibles. 
but it's about quality and dosage. And I, I've received, and this is baseball, mostly. It's just baseball. Uh, but I played football in, in high school as well, and I think that was one of the second times I broke my nose. But uh, yeah, I, I, I'm a little guy. I competed at a very high level in sports, um, you know, at the University of Miami, NCAA. When you're a small guy, my nickname was Psycho. So that'll kind of help you out <laughs> a little bit, give you a picture. And, and I paid the price. I, I sacrificed my body to perform, right? You got to make it happen. You're not thinking that, hey, you know what, Michael, when you're 60 years old, you're going to have a heck of a time. You, know, you don't think that when you're 22 years old. No, not at all. And so, you shouldn't. <laughs> you know, now, what's, again, uh, you mentioned it, but now let's go back and talk a little bit about it. You know, you and your wife are martial arts smartly. You have three kids. And then all of a sudden, out of the blue, your children, were they all diagnosed simultaneously or what happened? What started to happen in your family? Right, right. Well, uh, so first of all, let's talk about PANDAS. What is PANDAS? Pediatric autoimmune neuropsychiatric disorder associated with the Streptococcus bacteria. And basically, our youngest son, who was born in Sao Paulo, Brazil in 1990, when he was born, uh, now we eventually traced this back and we figured it out, and the doctors figured it out as well because of good records. But uh, our, our eldest son, who's now a man, he's 30 years old, he's doing wonderful. Uh, he's a professional. He, he runs a, a kitchen at a large Tex-Mex restaurant. He's a manager. He works all the time, and we're very proud of him. So just to give you the, the, the perspective, he's doing awesome. But when he was young, he would have these complex partial seizures, and he would have them for hours and hours and hours, and he was undiagnosed for nine years. Now, as you can imagine, when you're going through these seizures, uh, there's just a lot of fallout from that. Um, and you know, you go to the typical pharmaceutical medi medi medication. I won't name them, uh, cause I don't want to go down that path, but some of those medications, the side effects of those medications were, you know, seizures. So that wasn't going to work, but we persevered for nine, 10 years. Uh, and it wasn't until our eldest son, uh, when he was having all these seizures and, uh, it, other issues occur, uh, cognitive issues, depression. Um, agitation. Uh, Pandas is actually on the autism spectrum. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now, just as a quick uh, side note, the it's a broad spectrum. <laughs> okay. You could you can have a very severe situation and and go from there. But this was undiagnosed. I think my eldest son is the longest longitudinal uh, case study uh, of Pandas. Uh, it's a pediatric issue, but now he's thirty, and we we have seen over the years. Uh, going back now, what, 12 years, almost 12 years, that cannabis, specifically CBD and THC combined, the entourage effect, helped him. And this is also proven out in the work by Dr. Raphael Mishulam uh, in dealing with the basal ganglia of the brain. And so when we realized that uh, Nico is having a problem, we just persevered. At the same time, simultaneous to this, when his younger brother was born, Giovanni, also, uh, he's a young man now, he's doing great, uh, he was having night terrors. For 15 years, he would wake up in the middle of the night screaming, running, running through the house, rolling downstairs. Um, he would be bruised and cut. He would remember nothing the next day. I would have to go. Where, to where, yeah. where son, I'm sorry. Were your sons born like a year apart or are they? Three years apart. Three, three years, years apart. apart. So they yeah. all, but they all ended up having streptococcus. Yeah, and that is correct, sir. Yes, yeah. that is correct. Okay. Go ahead. And, no, and um, 
Yeah, so they have tonsillectomies. Um, now there's different, keep in mind the science on pandas back then uh, was to immediately get a tonsillectomy, which kind of helped in some ways, but also they would give you antibiotics, which now they know is really not a solution for that. But guess what works uh, really well? And that is, you mentioned it, essential oils. There's a whole group of people, uh, pandas patients that use essential oils, as you mentioned. And, um, and I'm bringing to the table cannabis and CBD with THC, the entourage, uh, dose dependent, of course, uh, and it has a tremendous effect on pandas children under the autism how, spectrum how disorder. Figure this, how did you figure this out? Let's slow down for a second and back up. So your first son, how yes, old sir. was he when he first started demonstrating symptoms of pandas? Uh, from birth, uh, he drooled uh, from the day he was born. He just kept drooling and drooling and drooling. And we didn't know what was going on. We kept going to the pediatrician and, you know, uh, it's probably nothing. It'll pass. You know, these are the kind of things that parents go through. <laughs> you know, it'll pass. It'll pass. And then one day when he was two years old, uh, he was holding my finger. I was taking him for a walk. We lived in Denver and uh, he was holding my finger and he started to grit his teeth like, ah, and squeeze my finger. And I thought, wow, oh, you know, you're so strong. Look how strong he is. And my wife had a nursing background. She goes, no, honey, I think he's having a seizure. And then, of course, you know, you go in and have the test. And uh, they were inconclusive at the time. But over the years, you, you, you know, you saw it. It was all the time. It was constant. And where it becomes, where it really manifests itself, where you go, wow, we really have a problem, is when the kids go to school, right? When mm -hmm. they go to school, that's when you first notice, whoa, you know, there's a little bit of challenge here. So lots of, a lot of irritation, a lot of agitation, um, a lot of body ticks. He would run out of the movie theater, just screaming. One time he jumped out of a moving van going to the doctor because he was giving uh, a certain type of pharmaceutical medication, which they thought at the time was to uh, uh, pacify or appease him. And it did just the opposite. I mean, thank God we were in the parking lot. It opens the door and jumps out of the van. You know, this is going back 1997 or eight or something like that. And 1999, excuse me. At yeah. this time you were still a minister, so you're not true. Yes, yeah. You haven't treated the cannabis yet. So what literally led you down the path to say, I've got to figure this thing out. What led you down the path to even think about cannabis with your son? Yeah. So we were juggling uh, our two eldest sons with uh, seizures and night terrors. Then when Michael came along, Michael's uh, 24, Gino's 27, and Nico's 30 right now. But when Michael came along, as a young kid, we thought, oh, awesome. No symptoms. You know, it looks like he's doing great. Uh, but then you know, you get that that horrible phone call. <laughs> is this is this like a predisposed genetic disorder or? Uh, no, I, I don't believe. Okay, so when you look at, uh, I'm a strong believer in epigenetics. I'm a student of uh, Dr. Bruce Lipton and and some of those folks. Uh, and really, a lot of disease uh, would come from the environment. Somehow, uh, my son Nico was exposed to streptococcal bacteria. Stayed with them. Uh, stayed dormant within him for, for years and years, spread to his brother, uh, apparently went to the other brother. They don't have it all figured out, but when you study the ideology of this disease, there are the most consistent thing about pandas is inconsistency because some of the symptoms may manifest in body ticks, you know, uh, 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 <clears throat> tearing clothes off, like they can't wear clothes or they can't keep shoes on. You know, and this is very challenging when you're a kid, when you're a parent as well. You're like, whoa, what's going on? You know, uh, but, you know, you you survive because you love. But the but the one that got us to cannabis 
was getting that phone call that Michael had cancer. Uh, I was in Denver. Dina was in uh, North Carolina at the time. Got that phone call. And uh, <laughs> that's why you get a great beard, you know. But sure. you get that call. And eventually we found out on 999 that he had uh, cancer. And on 9-11, uh, just a couple of days later, we found out that it was stage four. And at that point, Montel, you know, the gloves come off, man. You know, <laughs> what do I need to do? I don't, I don't care about law, a religious dogma, money, what anybody's opinion is, except those who could help my son. And I took it on as a parent. That's my responsibility, right? That's my responsibility to find out and to guide my son in collaboration with professionals. And Michael is your youngest son. Yes, sir. So now at this point in time, though, you've gone through seven years of dealing with your older son and these symptoms that really no one had an explanation for. They tell you it's a disease called pandas, and this is the way we treat it, but you weren't treating it at all with any cannabis at that point in time, right? No, actually it went on for 18 years. Okay. 18 years. Yeah. All right. So then your youngest son gets diagnosed with, what type of cancer did he get diagnosed with? Hodgkin's lymphoma, and stage four. I should let you know that my daughter also went through two rounds of that. So I understand. Uh, understand. Yes, sir. Oh, you and I have a lot of empathy. I, 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 you know, in preparing for this interview, I, I, I'm so amazed by your life and story. You're such an inspiration, but uh, I, I knew of that and uh, seizure disorder as well. And, uh, you know, cannabis woke me up and, but it started, it had to start with me, you know, Montel, like I had to get my own conviction about it. As a parent, because at that time, Michael was just a kid. He was just 12 years old. And you're now, you are still a minister. No, sir. No, you had then that you had left the church at that point in time? Yes. And then I was brought in a, a number of years later on a short stint uh, where, you know, you try to, you know, I'm going to change the church. It's a little tough converting churches. You know, it was a noble uh, desire, but that wasn't going to happen. And even today, my goal is not to convert churches. It's to help people who are looking for uh, other solutions to their health issues, namely cancer, seizures, and, and other other items, other issues. So, you're but, uh, yeah. And then, what, did somebody suggest it to you? Did somebody say, hey, you know, you ought to read this? Yes, sir. Uh, my buddy at work, uh, Mark, he's from Boston. <laughs> Good guy. And he says, Mike, listen, you got to check into this. And, you know, I'm a reader. So I grabbed everything. Oh, the first mistake I made, <laughs> you know, when, when you're diagnosed with cancer or your child's diagnosed with cancer, uh, you know, they give you a book that's, you know, three inches thick with the 13 different uh, medications or uh, chemicals to uh, kill the cancer cells. And after you get done reading that and the potential side effects and fallout, you're, I was gripped with fear. My problem was fear. So I was so fearful. I thought I had a heart attack. My first said, Michael, you got to get yourself under control. And so I went, I studied, then I went and got my medical red card back in 2009, 2010. It used to be called a medical marijuana red card in Colorado. And, uh, and that's when I really started to dive into it personally and uh, experiment and figure out how to be a caretaker uh, for my son. And you recognized, you know, with your son with cancer, with Michael, that what did you see? How What benefits did you see out of giving him utilizing cannabis then? Immediately, we didn't necessarily see uh, an effect. Michael finished. He started his chemotherapy uh, in September. Uh, 
uh, well, September, September 11, uh, he, he started and he ended uh, 2000, that was 2009. And then he finished his last round of chemo January 10th, 2010. And then they, we moved. I was already working in Denver, but the family was in North Carolina. And so of course, cannabis was not you know legal there. So the whole family moved to Colorado and that's when Michael uh, started on a cannabis regimen. But it was uh, it was a comorbidity situation where uh, he also had uh, a brain chiari, uh, a brain malformation in the back of the neck, which um, uh, was probably caused by uh, he played tackle football. All my kids were very heavily involved in sports, regardless of their medical issues. But he had a chiari where it cuts off your spinal fluid uh, to your body and he had to have surgery for that. And so uh, cannabis, that's when we really knew that cannabis was very effective in helping pain because he was having ice pick headaches in combination with the cancer. You know, you don't really know, you know, people ask me, Michael, you, you know, what does the cannabis do? It does so many things, as you know, all at the same time, right? I mean, it has this organic dynamic that affects every part of your body. Uh, and so it helped him mostly with pain, but later on in life, like seven years later, Montel, it helped them with the condition called chemo brain. So women who have breast cancer that get treated, let's say they call it the red devil. And uh, my son accidentally had that one, but kids that get chemo, years later, they suffer what they call chemo brain. I'm sure you're familiar with this uh, term. And uh, so uh, the school that he was going to at the time is high school. You know, uh, the teachers, Colorado is a great state. I mean, we have Jack's Law, uh, which allows uh, children who struggle uh, with uh, certain medical conditions, have access uh, to the oils while they're in school, uh, distributed by the church. It's all very regulated. But um, so we had to go through all that. And we found out that Michael was really struggling uh, with chemo brain. And, you know, it was a struggle. And, you know, in the context of what we're talking about, Mont Montel, is that there's a lot of love and support that goes on around it, you know, and that's how you survive, Right is you have a good support system of family and love and you survive and you try to keep figuring it out. Uh, but when he got cancer, that, that really got me that that's what blew it up. And so, it up. so you started first, not, you know, experimenting, but utilizing cannabis with Michael, but then what made you think, well, if it worked for him, maybe it'll help my other two sons. Your other sons had different types of symptoms from the pandas, right? Yes, sir. So, in each one of their cases, cannabis has kind of helped them differently, correct? Correct. So that you bring up a good point. So let's say our middle, our middle son, Giovanni, who's, who's an awesome, uh, awesome guy, awesome athlete, uh, he would have these night terrors. Now, unknown to myself and my wife, Dina, Gino began smoking pot when he was 15 years old. He was doing it, you know, illegally, of course. And all of a sudden, my wife and I noticed, because I would come in from Colorado, I'd come visit, you know, Michael was just diagnosed. I'd come in, stay for a while, I'd go through some chemo sessions, what have you, and then I'd get on a plane and leave. But we noticed that Giovanni started sleeping at night. That's like, wait a minute. All of a sudden, at 15, 16 years old, he's sleeping through the entire night. What's he doing? Now, unknown to the rest of my family, I did not share with them at that moment that I started to research cannabis and that I had gotten a medical card. I had done that while I was physically separate. When the family got together back in North Carolina, when I came back and visited, I noticed that Giovanni was sleeping. He says, look, dad, I'm smoking pot. My wife and I looked at each other and we were just ecstatic that it worked. 
And ready for this, Montel? He started doing better in school. He started doing better in school. Because you sleep. You know, you take someone's sleep away, and you're going to have a real problem. You know? Right. You're going to have a motivation problem. You're going to have a fatigue problem. But, uh, you know, when you don't get sleep, that mitochondria, those cells, those energy of the cells, they get destroyed. And you're dragging. You know, you're struggling. And it has neurological and cognitive consequence. So you have to stay on top of that. And he's done... He's, rec- he's recovered well and he's, you know, he's still at it, you know, he's still sure. at it. And how, and how uh, did it affect your oldest son? Oh, man. <laughs> well, you want to talk about uh, the difference in sons. My eldest son, uh, one of the manifestations of Pandas, uh, one of his manifestations is OCD, com- uh, you know, compulsive disorder. And uh, it's a blessing and a curse at sometimes, you know, he was a, a wrestler in high school. He wasn't a wimp. You know, he's like, he's six foot tall. I'm the smallest guy in the family. I mean, he's six foot tall. He wrestled at 153. And, you know, he, he just threw everything into it. He was uh, just a tough guy. And he still is today. But he needed CBD to calm him down. So let me give you just a quick illustration of what Pandas does. So say you get the strep bacteria. Uh, it's in your system and you have strep growth. It's also asymptomatic. Uh, you And you know that through a titer test. Uh, but that's another story. But basically, you're irritated, you're agitated. Well, we figured out that the, the, what Nico needed more than anything was cannabidiol. He needed that CBD with the THC, right? Because you have to have the CB1 receptor too, because you're dealing with the basal ganglia, you're dealing with the brain. And you, you put that together, and the entourage effect has really helped him calm down to where he's still focused, but and I tell people, it's food, right? I mean, you, it's food. It's like water. It's it's a supplement. And so when he's consistent, in which we all need to be, it's all about you know dosage, quality material, dosage, and consistency. And uh, when he stays on that, it just calmed him down. So I had one son who was super unmotivated because he can never sleep. Come With that comes depression and other issues. The other one can't stop moving. And Michael, you know... Uh, <laughs> He has all kinds of nicknames. Sometimes they call him the old man. Uh, he's kind of an old soul. He came close to Jack. He almost died uh, right in front of us, right in front of our eyes. Uh, and thank God for the nurse, Paula. Uh, she saved his life. We watched the red devil go into his, into his veins and he sat up. And it was horrible. You know. But uh, a lot of families go through this. Listen, uh, the survival is to get top right. You've got to embrace it. You can't back down, right? You've got to attack it. And that's what I kept doing. And, you know, <laughs> I'm about 30 years into this now. <laughs> We're still attacking it and trying to be good parents and, and all of that. And, you know, these guys, they're men, right? I mean, they're men. They, they make their own decisions. But uh, I, I give them information and uh, they, they have their own people that they take care of. Uh, and, they take uh, care of others. Now, tell me, you know, what made you decide to now write a book now? Because you're in the process of writing your book. It's not done yet, correct? Uh, well, it's, it's done. It's a working process. My, the book I started writing, it's actually the pop preacher was a working title. The new one given to me by the agent, my agent, Adrian Rosado with Stonesong uh, Literary Agency out of New York is the cannabis conversion, uh, removing, uh, the, the, uh, removing the cure from the taboo. That's the subtitle as well. And so, uh, they put it together. They had to restructure the book because the book was uh, a little bit uh, too religious focused 
And then they revamped it and made it more, uh, you know, more like, you know, talks about my life, my baseball heritage, uh, my parents, uh, talks about the kids and each of their lives. I guess really the best way to describe it. Did you ever see the movie Seabiscuit? Uh, yeah. Years ago. Sure. Yeah. I mean, uh, uh, it's, it's amazing. It's about a horse. 1938, he wins uh, these championships. But it's really not a movie about a horse. It's about the jockey. It's about the owner. It's about the trainer. It's about the wife. And really, they each have their different journey. And the common denominator was Seabiscuit, this horse, winning this race. But the story unfolds. And it's this, this drama of all these lives. They all came from different places. Like, for example, my wife, Dina, she detoxed her own liver because of pharmaceutical drugs. She does not smoke cannabis, but yet she uses cannabis oil every single day, every single day. And mm -hmm. she looks beautiful. You know, she's, she's a beautiful gal. Um, and it's for sleep. You know, she does it for sleep. Uh, me, I, I consume all different types of, of, of ways. And so do my sons. They all have their, I think my one son doesn't even smoke flour anymore. He just does, um, you know, uh, like bubble hash and things of that nature, you know. So we all kind of are very unique and different in that way as well. So now will the book, does the book, intent, is it still called The Pot Preacher or it's not? It's, it's called The Cannabis Conversion. The Cannabis Conversion. Again, it's just a working title. Uh, Adrian right now, the book is sitting with publishers right now. They're looking at the whole entire proposal as we speak. Uh, and it really kind of lays out uh, each of the stories, uh, how we met Isaac Slade from the fray. Uh, I know that you have a guest, uh, you had a guest named Sylvia Brown on your the Montel Williams show for years and years. Uh, I also uh, am blessed with clairvoyance, things of that nature. My wife and I hook up on a lot of things mentally and telepathically. A lot of different events have occurred in our lives that makes the book really special. Uh, and I can tell you that the, uh, the fray, the Isaac Slade story from the fray, it's really amazing. Um, uh, would you like to hear it real quick? Well, sure, sure. Yeah, so real quick. So um, when Michael was diagnosed after 30 days, I was with him every single day in the hospital in North Carolina. And I finally had to go back to work and leave. And that was horrible. It ripped my heart out. So I grabbed my wife's iPod, or her little iPod, and she had all these songs on it. And some of the songs were How to Save a Life, You Found Me, um, by a band called The Fray. Now, I didn't know who they were. I didn't know what they looked like. And I'm, I'm living in Denver in my uptown uh, condominium uh, in uh, uptown Denver. And I'm, I'm there. And every night about 2.30 in the morning, while they're in North Carolina and I'm working in Denver, I am waking up at 2.30 in the morning sweating, crying, and trying to get my stuff together because I was consumed with fear knowing that my son was struggling horrifically, right? Just chronic pain. I mean, nothing worse for a parent, right? I mean, it's brutal. And I said, okay, do my cannabis regimen. And so I would wake up 2.30, 3 o'clock. I'd get my baseball bat. I'd stretch. I would medicate heavily and get myself to calm down. For me, I needed to calm down, okay? Be calm. Be still. Be still before the Lord. Be still before yourself. Get to a level of consciousness where you can get yourself under control and feel a peace. And so I would do that. But while I would do that, I would listen to the songs over and over and over and over and over and over. So two weeks later, or three weeks later, I go down to my garage, parking garage, and I get back on the elevator. It's only an eight unit condominium building complex. And I get on the elevator and there's this tall, slender man. We introduce one to each other. And he says, uh, we introduce each other. 
Uh, and he says, uh, yeah, my name's Isaac Slade. I'm the lead singer of The Fray. I said, what? <laughs> and I told him the family story. And we became, we became friends. Uh, we met together, I don't know, maybe half a dozen times or so. Uh, I know my wife and kids, they've all been there uh, uh, at the condo there. And when he performed in Nashville with uh, Kelly Clarkson uh, a few years later, uh, he brought the boys backstage again and they hung out. But he became a neighbor. We played Frisbee in the, in the yard and our dogs would hang out. And, uh, so it was really encouraged. But just to think that all this time I'm singing these songs. I'm listening to these songs because he's ministering, ministering to my soul while I'm crying and trying to find myself and try to find answers. And the guy lived right below me. That's Isaac Slade from this break. Yeah. Crazy. crazy stuff. That's great. And is that in the book? Yes, sir. Chapter two. It's called How to Save a Life. And, and what is your goal with your book? Is your book trying to save a life? Absolutely. Um, so what has happened? So now keep in mind, Montel, this has been nearly 12 years now, right? I'm in my 12th year. So Michael was diagnosed in 2009. Uh, I started writing a book in 2014 and it went through a number of revisions and plus just dealing with life. And so I finally got a great agent. And so they started to revamp it. So what we did was people started to contact me. They would say, hey, Mike, we heard that, uh, you know, you're into this cannabis thing. What's going on? And so what would happen over the years is, you know, this gentleman, I'll just say his name is Ralph, lung cancer. This person, pancreatic cancer, thyroid cancer. I started getting all these, all this correspondence. Mike, what do we do? What do we do? What do we do? And because I was very versed on it, uh, because I, I studied endocannabinology, um, you know, people listen. And I don't, I don't treat people. One, obviously, I'm not a doctor. Uh, but I, I kind of lead them towards the right path. Like people like Dr. Bonnie Goldstein, Dr. Frankel, right? You, you, uh, Dr. Mashula, uh, my my mentor right now, and I'm enrolled in the Healer.com class with Dr. Sula out of Maine. So when people contact me, I'll get them in touch with these doctors, uh, like the doctor doc, guys out in Santa Monica. I'll say, hey, give this doctor a call. But uh, people will sometimes come into town. And uh, we'll go to the dispensary together. We'll buy flour. Uh, I will educate them on how to make oils. Um, uh, I tell them what products good, what products work. I mean, you know, this is 20 milligrams of, a, of an indica for sleep. You know, uh, sleep through the night, wake up like a baby and be totally healthy in combination with CBD though. Again, uh, entourage. So these are things that I do now to help people. And I spread the word, spread the message. So the goal is the book. The goal of the book is to get people to consider, not so much maybe run up into a cannabis conversion, so to speak, immediately. We should have a cannabis conversation. And that's what I want to do, especially with churches and pastors. A lot of people are trying to figure this whole thing out. You know, what do we do? Is it a sin? Is it okay to do it? Um, am I, you know, can I take medical cannabis? and uh, other people, you know, they, they still shun you, you know, you're under that cloud of, uh, you know, even in the church, uh, the leadership staff think I should be in drug rehab, you know, so that's how they, some of these churches, in fact, probably most of them view it, but, but that's okay. As long as someone's willing to have an intelligible conversation about the science, well, number one, the history, as you pointed out, number two, the science, and, and number three, what can we learn? Who's doing it? Who's making it happen? 
Who are the people? Let's get into the trenches, into the people's living rooms, uh, into their dining rooms. What's going on in their kitchen, man? How, how can we make a really good meal? Add some cannabis oil to it and make sure you get a good night's sleep or make sure that you're not agitated or depressed. So that's what I do now, voluntarily. And what's been the pushback? Has there been pushback uh, from your uh, your other community? Well, I'm not in that community in a long uh, You know, I mean, 7.2 billion people on the planet. If someone does you know, want to hang out with you or whatever, I mean, that's okay. Now, here's the ironic thing. You know, it's mostly like the leadership group. And I'm not bitter at them. That's where they're at. That's, that's okay. I, I'm not in the business of, uh, you know, trying to be a preacher or anything of that nature. Although I do have a very active ministry uh, constantly. But uh, my goal is for, like a lot of the patients that I have now, and I'm going to call them patients, as if I were a bud tender at a dispensary. A lot of the patients I have now are people uh, from from different churches. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, I mean, what do you think right now, as we look at what's happening in this country you know, over the course of the last, you know, year now that we've gone through this pandemic, and I think the nation has recognized the fact that the only recession-proof, you know, business in this country has been cannabis in the last year. Um, right. What do you think we're going? What do you think the entire cannabis community is going? Where, or, or the idea of utilizing cannabis as a helpful healing plant. Where do you think that's going? Okay, so <clears throat> on a big picture, obviously with what over thirty-three states now. Uh, I, I didn't check this morning. Uh, I, I, I keep track with normal, but I, I think that federal prohibition will eventually uh, fall. Eventually, um, I think what's scary to me is you know <laughs> uh, greed is is the seed, man. And you know it doesn't matter if it's cannabis space or whatever space. You got people that uh, try to take over and. Um, uh, run the entire industry, and, and, and you know, you know about these things. You know, some people would take some product that wasn't as it was advertised, and they have a bad experience, and that doesn't help guys like me and you who are saying, "Hey, look, you know, there's a right way to do this." Um, and so, my answer, my short answer is, I tell people get involved in your local community, with your local dispensary, your local people. I can introduce you if you came to Colorado Springs right now, for example. Or if we went to the Western Slope in, in Cedar Cedar Ridge, where, where I lived as well, uh, where my, my sons live, my other two sons, there's a group of people that it's a clandestine culture, right? You go get your medical card, you go to the dispensary, you pick up your bag of cannabis, you have tools like, you know, like these charts with all these great people. There's all kinds of information, right? You have all kinds of great products, uh, 43 CBD. I don't make any money from these folks. But, you know, you look at this, um, go to your community. There are enough people that are say, here, I can help you. But make sure you get the consulting. Make sure you get that help because you can mess up really easily. Um, and so I encourage people to, to get involved in their local community, the cannabis scene. And if people want to get, first off, what they want to get a hold of you or find out when your book is going to be published, where do they go? What website do they go to? Uh, I'm going to just do email for now. And uh, I'll type that in. It's Kana Bossom, which is the biblical word, K-A-N-E-H dot Bossom, B-O-S-E-M, the number 37 at protonmail.com. And I'll give you that graphic. will be up uh, as soon as we can. People can reach out to me. When do you expect your book to be published? Uh, 
Uh, hopefully soon. I mean, this is the year to do it. Uh, right now, uh, with Stone Song Literary Agency out of New York, with my agent, agent uh, Adrian Rosado. She's doing a great job getting word out. Uh, the fact that I'm speaking with you is thanks to uh, Adrian, and thank you for inviting me. Uh, it is a, it's a great story. We really want to get it going. We want to make it happen. And it's really up to the publishers at this point who want to take it on and uh, go from here. But it, it, would, it should be a series because it does take, uh, you know, there's a lot of characters, a lot of moving parts. And the treatments are all very unique in and of itself, not to mention the spiritual aspects of it. And you think at least the first rendition of the book should be out this next year? Yes, sir. That is correct. Absolutely. Well, I want to thank you so much, Michael, for being a part of Let's Be Blunt with Montel. I applaud you for the work that you're trying to do and continue to do and wish you much success, sir. Okay? Montel, thank you so much. We love and respect you very much. Absolutely. For all of you out there, make sure you make sure you tune in too. Let's Be Blunt with Montel. Thanks for joining me on Let's Be Blunt with Montel. Please make sure you're subscribed and hit the bell to be notified when new episodes post each week. We'd love to hear your feedback also, so please send us your comments. Thank you.